passion for God and compassion for our neighbor. Reaching people with Jesus. This is Crosswinds Church. And now, here's Pastor Kurt Truxis. If you're somebody who's new, my name is Kurt. I'm one of the pastors here. And at Crosswinds, one of the things you'll need to know is we are all about reaching people with Jesus Christ. With that, we really want to make sure that we are in relationships with our neighbors, relationships with people in our own family, and we just let the idea of who Jesus Christ is and what he has done for us and why we love him and that Jesus loves you just sort of flow from our lips. That's one of our goals, just to be honest and just talk with people who need to hear about Jesus, the good news about Jesus. And our hope is that as we do that, that God will take his word and when it's planted in people's hearts, and he'll germinate it and draw people to himself. This morning or in the first service, we had uh, two of Renee Nelson's kids that were baptized, and they have trusted in Jesus Christ as their Lord and Savior, and they made a public profession of their faith today in baptism. And I'd like to ask you, if you're somebody who's been around Crossman's Church for a while, and God has been drawing him to yourself, but you have not made a public profession of faith in Jesus Christ through baptism, please be sure to talk to me after the service or talk to one of the pastors like Pastor, like Jeremy, and we'll make sure that we can see what we can do to make a time to have you baptized as well, making a public profession of your faith. Because the Bible says that after people believed, they were baptized, and that's what we're supposed to be doing. This summer, we've been in a series called Taming the Tongue. This series is about uh, our speech. And today, we are looking at uh, one of the last weeks in this series. It's on swearing. Next week, Pastor Jordan will be on this campus. I'll be down on the Spencer campus. Pastor Jordan will be talking about the importance of listening instead of speaking. After we finish this series on Taming the Tongue, for the rest of the summer, we'll have a different series called broken vessels. It's a series on how God likes to use ordinary people like you and me in extraordinary ways. What we'll do in this series is simply look at each week a little biographical life story of little known Bible characters, their brokenness and how God used them. One week we're going to look at Barnabas. Another week, we're going to look at Gideon. Another week, we're going to look at Caleb. If you're somebody who likes life stories and how God works in ordinary people's lives, you will love that series. So that's going to happen not next week, but the week after that, we'll begin that series. Today, as we look at swearing, we're going to look at it under two big categories. First, we're going to look at using the Lord's name in vain. Uh, What does it mean to use God's name as a swear word? What does the Bible say about that? Then we're going to look at cussing and swearing and just a general overview from the scriptures. As I was studying and preparing for this message, I ran across uh, an article written by a college professor. And honestly, when I read it, I thought it was satirical. I thought it was a joke article, but it was a serious article Um, this professor wanted to talk about the benefits of swearing. Why, he has been swearing for 40 years, and he recommends you learn to swear as well. And let me give you some of his reasons. Why did a college professor claim swearing is good? Here's what he said. 
He claims that those who curse have higher intelligence. Well, I usually have found it to be the opposite, but well, this is the college professor for you. He claims that cursing can improve your pain tolerance. So when you slam your finger in the car door, he recommends swearing as loudly and as much as you can. It'll improve your pain tolerance at that time. Then he claims cursing can encourage creativity. These are people who learn to combine swear words. You know what I'm talking about, those people? Yeah, that's creativity, he says. And then lastly, he says this. He claims cursing allows us to hurt people without actually throwing punches. Well, I thought, I wonder if this really makes any sense. So I did a little thought experiment. Let's see how we could apply uh, the college professor's lesson into an everyday life situation. A guy comes home for work and his wife has made dinner and he made, and she made meatloaf. And he's not a real fan of meatloaf. So he replies what he learned at college. So he begins to curse and swear at his wife over her cooking. Of course, she is instantly taken back and says, how are you saying those kind of things to me? And then he brings out his college lesson. Well, the reason I'm swearing at you is because I'm obviously of high intelligence. Not only that, but it helps me deal with the pain tolerance of eating your cooking. In addition, it shows I'm a very creative person, and also it's allowing me to hurt you without throwing punches. How well do you think that's going to work out? I think he's going to be eating food from the doghouse for at least the next month, and usually in January and February as well. Well, let's move on from our crackpot college professor who encourages swearing for everyone. And let's take a look at what the Bible says about swearing. Once again, we'll begin with what does the Bible say about using God's name in vain, and then we'll look at cursing and swearing in general. So in your outlines, it's point number two. What does the Bible say about using the Lord's name in vain? And we'll go right to the third of the Ten Commandments, where it says this. You shall not take the name of the Lord your God in vain, for the Lord will not hold him guiltless who takes his name in vain. You wonder, what is vain? I don't get that. And I put a definition in your outline for you. It's speaking God's name in an empty, meaningless, trivial, or disrespectful way. When God's name is spoken on our lips, it should carry the weight and authority of who God is and what he has done for us. This brings us to our first point. God is committed to his name because it reflects his identity. Some of you may remember the Navy sailor Christian Saucier. He worked on a U.S. naval sub. He was a young guy and was working a late shift and sort of goofing around with some of his friends and he took out his cell phone and took a few pictures of him and his friends on the sub. And if you know anything about the Navy and about the submarines, one thing you're not allowed to do is take pictures of them. Well, he was found out the government planned to prosecute him to the fullest extent of the law, which meant he was set up for five to six years of prison. Now, he wasn't trying to sell pictures to the Russians. He wasn't some kind of spy. He was just a young, goofball, young adult male. You know those kind? 
yeah, doing crazy things. But how would he get out of this? He was going to lose being able to be with his wife and children for five years. There's only one possible way. It's a Hail Mary pass in this situation. It's called a presidential pardon. And President Trump, who was in office at that time, took up his case. President Trump wrote a presidential pardon for Christian Saucier after he had already served one year in jail to return him to his family. Go ahead and put that up, that picture of him. That was on the news. Now, when he was interviewed after learning that President Trump had given him a pardon, there were tears running down his face. He was choked up and could barely talk because he was so overwhelmed by how good the president had been to him. I'll tell you one thing. Today, there's a lot of people who speak real negatively about President Trump, and that's not a President Trump thing. There's a lot of people who speak negatively about every president, but he will never ever speak negatively about President Trump. He can't say his name without choking up because that man saved his life. We're not saved his life literally, but at least five to six years of his, his life. I thought about this. If he cannot say God, Trump, President Trump's name without giving it honor and respect, what about us in the name of God and the name of Jesus Christ? President Trump only saved him from five or six years of prison. Our God saved us from an eternity in the lake of fire that we justly actually deserved. All President Trump had to do was write his name on the bottom of a piece of paper to give him a presidential pardon. You know what our God had to do? He had to send his own son who had to leave being with the Father. He had to humble himself to take on a human body forever. He had to die voluntarily on a cross, dying one of the most vicious deaths ever created by man. Not just a vicious death, but becoming sin for us. He suffered an eternity of God's wrath against sin in space, in time, while on that cross for you and me. It is inconceivable that we would ever speak the name of Jesus or the name of our God in a casual way or a disrespectful way. It is inconceivable that we would ever use the name of Jesus as a curse word. Isn't that true? The next point. God is committed to protecting his name and expanding his reputation, the Bible tells us. Psalm 138, verse 2 says, For you have exalted above all things your name and your word. We often think that God is committed to the preservation and the exaltation of his word, uh, the Bible, but he's also committed to the preservation and exaltation of his name. That is not because God is an egomaniac, but because God deserves incredible respect and his name deserves respect because of who he is and what he has done. Remember, it was God the Father who willed everything that is in existence today. But it was Jesus the Son who created everything that is in existence. That's down to the smallest electron that we see with an electron microscope. That's to the biggest parts of the universe that we can barely begin to fathom with a huge telescope. Jesus created all of it. 
Not only that, but the, the Bible in the book of Colossians tells us that Jesus holds the entire universe together moment by moment. That's who Jesus is, and that's who Jesus does. It is inconceivable that we would ever speak his name casually or disrespectfully or as a curse word. And God is committed not just that his name should be revered, but that he would even grow the honor and fame of his name in our lives and in this world. One way we see that is in the Exodus. We know the Bible tells us that God chose to harden Pharaoh's heart so he wouldn't let God's people go. And the reason he did that was so God would have to do greater and greater plagues on Egypt to make a greater name for himself. Exodus 9, 16 says this, but for this purpose I have raised you up, speaking about Pharaoh, to show you my power so that my name might be proclaimed in all the earth. God says, Pharaoh, your heart was gonna stay hard so I can really beat the tar out of you so everyone will know the greatness of who I am and what I have done, and I am far greater than any of the gods of Egypt. The gods of Egypt don't even hold a candle to me. In fact, we go 40 years later to a new generation, to a new place, to the land of Canaan, when God's people are going into the promised land, and what do we read in the book of Joshua? The Canaanites said this, for we have heard how the Lord dried up the water of the Red Sea before you, when you came out of Egypt, and what you did to the two kings of the Amorites who were beyond the Jordan, to Shihon and Og, whom you devoted to destruction. And as soon as we heard it, our hearts melted, and there was no spirit left in any man because of you. For the Lord your God, he is God of the heavens above and on the earth beneath. God's name was made famous. They remembered what happened in the Exodus, and they were afraid of God because they knew that the God of the Israelites was indeed the true God of the universe. So God is committed that his name and the reverence of his name would be actually grow on this earth. Continue. The idea of God's name and his reputation growing on this earth, it's actually part of the Lord's prayer. I am to pray that God's name will be spoken with respect. Matthew 6, 9. Pray then like this, our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. The first part of the Lord's prayer is that we would pray that God's name would be given the reverence and the honor and respect that it is due when it is spoken. By the way, if God's name is given honor and reverence and respect on this earth, the identity of God and who he is is better communicated on this earth. It's inconceivable that God's name would ever be used as a swear word, especially by his people. Here's another one. God promises to punish those who speak his name disrespectfully. On social media today, God's name is used disrespectfully all the time. And the little text messages that people send back and forth, there's all those three-letter words that includes God's name in it, like OMG, 
You know, oh my God. And if you're a young kid, it's so easy to just be cool and to fit in with your friends and to use God's name in a disrespectful, dishonorable way because that's what your friends do. But you need to know, speaking God's name casually and disrespectfully is a big deal because of who he is and what he has done for us. What did it say in the third commandment? For the Lord will not hold him guiltless who takes his name in vain. So what happens if somebody uses God's name casually and disrespectfully? Let's look at it in the Old Testament, Leviticus 24. Now an Israelite woman's son, whose father was an Egyptian, went out among the people of Israel. And the Israelite woman's son and a man of Israel fought in the camp. And the Israelite woman's son blasphemed the name and cursed. Then they brought him to Moses. His mother's name was Shilometh, the daughter of Dibri of the tribe of Dan. And they put him in custody till the will of the Lord should be clear to them. Then the Lord spoke to Moses saying, bring out of the camp the one who cursed and let all who heard him lay their hands on his head and let all the congregation stone him and speak to the people of Israel saying, whoever curses his God shall bear his sin. Whoever blasphemes the name of the Lord shall surely be put to death. In the Old Testament, using God's name as a curse word was a death penalty offense. God was very committed that his name should be spoken with honor and reverence and in a dignified way. I would say the same thing to you. If you happen to overhear people talking about you and they're laughing about you or they're using your name in a disrespectful, dishonorable way, does it hurt you to hear that? Imagine how it hurts the God of the universe who created everything, who gave us life, and Jesus Christ who died for us. Imagine what he feels like when his name is used as a curse word. The Bible tells us also this. God's name deserves respect because it contains life-saving power. Acts 4.12, for there is salvation in no one else, for there is no other name under heaven given among men by which we must be saved. Or Romans 10.13, for everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. Right now, in your heart, if you call out to Jesus Christ, and ask Jesus' death on the cross to pay for your sin, and you ask Jesus to be in charge of your life, he will save you eternally. He will make you into a completely new person if you call on the name of Jesus right here, right now. It doesn't matter what you have done. It doesn't matter who you are. The name of Jesus, when you call upon him, will save you. Mohammed's name won't save you. Allah's name won't save you. Buddha's name won't save you. The name of Jesus will save you. There's power in that name, which is why it's inconceivable that the name of Jesus would ever come across our lips casually, 
disrespectfully or as a cuss word when the name of Jesus is the only name that can save anyone in the universe. Acts 16.18 says this, Paul, having become greatly annoyed, turned and said to the spirit, I command you in the name of Jesus Christ to come out of her. And it came out of her that very hour. Folks, the name of Jesus is so powerful that it sends demons running. My daughter, she traveled with uh, some teams from the mission teams from the church to Haiti. And she was in Haiti where they have witch doctors and all kinds of dark occultic stuff. And there are times that she said, I really felt oppressed. And I feel like I could feel that kind of presence around me. It was, I'd never experienced it before. She said, I just kept calling out to Jesus. Jesus, I claim your name. Jesus, take this away. And she says, I had peace and I made it through. Because at the name of Jesus, the demons run. Which is why it's inconceivable that we would ever speak the name of Jesus casually, disrespectfully, or as a swear word. Oh, friends around us may say OMG. They may use Jesus Christ as a cuss word, but it would never, never be something that we would do because we know who Jesus is. We know what he has done, and we know the power that is contained in that name. Now, this morning, I would assume that most of us here are not struggling with using the name of Jesus or the name of God as a cuss word. I assume that just maybe it's something we already know. I'm just reinforcing that. But let me go into something that maybe some of us do struggle with. That is sometimes using God's name, at least with humor, casually or disrespectfully. I should be careful when using God's name in humor. Today, there are a lot of creative clothing companies out there who are trying to find fun ways to market to people, and they use the name of God, the name of Jesus Christ in that marketing. But I think when they do that, sometimes they lower the value and significance of the name of Jesus. Let me show you, let me show you this soccer shirt. Jesus saves. Well, that's true. The soccer goalie saves the, the soccer ball. And I don't think the person who made this shirt is intentionally trying to be disrespectful to Jesus Christ. But I think we need to realize that's sort of trivializing Jesus. It's making too little of Jesus. Jesus is the one who created the entire universe. Jesus is the one who died on the cross. Jesus is the one who took us from the lake of fire to make us the most blessed beings in the universe. Reducing Jesus to a little Jesus saves soccer goalie with a goatee on a shirt is sort of inadvertently disrespectful to who he is and what he's done. Do you understand where I'm going with this? I'm not saying the guy who did the shirt is trying to be like disrespectful, but he is being disrespectful. I'd be careful about those things. I'll give you another shirt. Here's a Bloodweiser. The King of Kings is now the King of Beers. I know the guy who made this t-shirt is trying to connect with culture. He's trying to be funny. He's trying to be cute. But Jesus is the King of Kings. Jesus is the one before whom every knee shall bow before whom every tongue shall confess that Jesus is Lord. 
But on that day, if someone is wearing the Bloodweiser t-shirt as they're kneeling before Jesus Christ, the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords of the universe, I think they will regret wearing that t-shirt because it trivializes him. It makes him too little. So I would just say, when it comes to not using the Lord's name in vain, yes, we don't use Christ or the name of God as a swear word or cuss word, but be careful in Christian marketing about how we may trivialize the name of Jesus and the name of our wonderful Lord. Let's move on to the next section. What does the Bible say about curse words? We're looking at cursing in general. We'll read Ephesians chapter 5, 5 through 6. But sexual immorality and all impurity or covetousness must not even be named among you as is proper among the saints. Let there be no filthiness, nor foolish talk, nor crude joking, which are out of place. But instead, let there be thanksgiving. For you may be sure of this, that everyone who is sexually immoral or impure or who is covetous, that is an idolater, has no inheritance in the kingdom of Christ and God. Let no one deceive you with empty words, for because of these things, the wrath of God comes upon the sons of disobedience. Paul is writing to the church in Ephesus. Uh, Paul planted the church at Ephesus, and you need to know the culture of the city and the the identity of it. It is a port city. Uh, Goods from all over Asia Minor funneled into the city of Ephesus and were sent by boat to Rome. Rome's goods came into the city of Ephesus and then were spread all over Asia. Ephesus uh, was a city that, like most port cities and commerce cities, uh, had a lot of sexuality in it, it had a lot of prostitution in it. In addition, it had a lot of occultism. Uh, the major center for books on the occult in the ancient world was Ephesus. That's where most of the magic books were published. You can find that in the book of Acts, incidentally, when they burned a whole bunch of them. So if you want to summarize the city of Ephesus, it was known for Satan, sin, and sex. That's pretty much the city. When Paul writes to them in the letter of Ephesians, he's giving them a lot of Christianity 101. How do Christians conduct themselves in a really sin-saturated world? And the people are coming out of a sin-saturated world. So they're trying to figure out, like, which end is up. And here in Ephesians chapter 5, verses 3 through 6, he talks about two big ways. How does a Christian conduct themselves sexually? And then how does a Christian conduct themselves with their speech? While we should be focusing just on the speech side, because we live in a hyper-sexualized world, and it's right in the text here, I'm going to also spend a few minutes explaining what Paul says about how a Christian should conduct themselves sexually in a sex-saturated world. First thing he says that should not even, he says, sexual sin should not be part of my life. And he gives three things that should not even be named among Christians. The first thing he says is sexual immorality. It is the Greek word pornea, where we get our English word pornography from. And it means this, it's a junk drawer term referring to any form of sexual expression outside of one 
woman and one woman in marriage. Now it says in my notes, it excludes, but I was a typo, it should be it includes. It includes premarital sex, extramarital sex, homosexuality, and pornography. You slice it or dice it any way you want. Anything outside of one man and one woman in marriage for life is forbidden. That's what it means. Real simple. But then he comes down and he gives us another thing. Impurity should not be named among you. It literally means dirtiness. In this context, it refers to sexual dirtiness, sexual uncleanness. Sometimes this word is translated lewdness. It is dressing or acting in such a way to draw attention to yourself or to seduce. Now, how do we get these connections? Uh, seduction, drawing somebody to us, and dirtiness. Guys, you ever heard of a dirty magazine? What's inside of a dirty magazine? Pictures of people that are in such a way that they are trying to draw your attention and seduce you away. Young ladies, I want to talk to you. I know how this goes. It's called fashion. Well, ladies, that miniskirt that is so incredibly short, that's not a miniskirt. That's a belt. Okay? You, know, you say it's fashion. No, it, it's seductive. You know, the more fashionable things are, the less clothes you actually have. That's not what it seems like. But you know what happens when you dress in those things and you walk into a room with those things. You're the center of attention in the room. Everyone's looking at you and the guys who actually have some kind of sense of purity are trying to look away from you. And Paul says, that kind of conduct, sexual dirtiness, lewdness, seductiveness, should not even be named among Christians. That's not the way we conduct ourselves around other people, trying to become the sexual center of attention. And then he says this, covetousness should not be named among us. We know covetousness is a burning desire to have what is our neighbor's. But in context, this is, I think, referring to sexual covetousness, which is allowing ourselves to lust after someone else that is not our spouse. This is somebody allowing themselves to fantasize against about somebody else's wife. This is what's called pornography. Guys, God wants you to get married and then he wants you to pour your sexual passion out exclusively in one place to your spouse and to your spouse alone and not spend your time coveting over or longing over or lusting over a different woman that is not your wife. That's sexual covetousness. That should not even be named among Christians. Now, most of the world, when we hold up these kind of standards, one man, one woman in marriage alone is the only form of sexual expression. You're not supposed to live together before you get married. You're not supposed to be intimate before you get married. 
uh, you're not supposed to be dressing seductively. You're not supposed to be lusting after other people from the opposite sex. When we say those kind of things, that's completely foreign in our world. Yet this is what Paul said is the standard of sexuality for Christians. And folks, he's not trying to take away the fun from your life. He's trying to bring Christian joy and happiness to your life. You'll be much happier if you save yourself for marriage and then stay in marriage when it comes to your sexuality. Can I get an amen for anyone who's married? Right? Exactly. Now, he moves on from what's our sexual standards to talking about our speaking standards. And he says this, Obscene words should not come from my mouth. Let there be no filthiness, nor foolish talk, nor crude joking, which are out of place. Filthiness are words or phrases that are literally dirty words. They are words you wouldn't use around mom because she would wash your mouth out with soap. This includes the S word. This includes the F word. This includes almost all the other profanity out there. It doesn't matter if you're upset. It doesn't matter if someone cut you off in traffic. Filthiness should not be part of your speech. What comes out of our mouth should not resemble the pit of hell, right? And then if you go to Colossians 3, it says this, but now you must put them all away, anger, wrath, malice, and slander, and obscene talk from your mouth. Different Greek word. Ephesians talks about dirty language. Colossians talks about obscene language. This is like the sexual language. You know what I'm talking about? Where somebody uses some kind of sexual expression all the time? He says, it's not to be part of us at all. Most of us probably are not struggling with obscene language, but I can give you something that I think many of us probably are struggling with. It's what I call Christian profanity. It is taking profane words, gently sanitizing them ever so slightly, and then continuing to use them as if they weren't profanity. Give you some examples. Instead of saying, what the hell, people will say, what the heck. Instead of saying, um, God damn it, people will say, dag nabbit. I have no idea what a dag nabbit is but you know what it is. It's just a little sanitized version of God damn it. Instead of saying, oh my God, people will say, oh my gosh. Or instead of saying the S word, they'll say C-R-A-P. And they'll say, look, I, I didn't swear. I can use these words all day long and these phrases all day long. Well, let me tell you the way it works. To every other person on the street, you might as well have sworn they cannot tell the little subtle differences where you say dag, or you say dag nabbit, or oh my gosh. They cannot tell those little subtle differences. So I would just really recommend you sanitize from your life even the Christian profanity. It is not honoring to God, especially when you get later in this morning's lesson. Our words would be filled with thanksgiving. Our words would be building others up, not getting as close to profanity as possible without actually saying it. The next thing he says this, is foolish words and actions should also not characterize my life. Let there be no filthiness, nor foolish talk, nor crude joking which are out of place. Foolish talk means silly talk. In Greek, it's morologizomai, or morologos. It literally means stop speaking like a moron. That's a literal translation. 
The words that come from our mouth should not be wasteful words, should not be pointless words. Our words should be giving life, uh, not taking life. They should be positive things, not pointless things. Very intentionally, we should speak that way. I wondered, how could I illustrate this for you guys? And what came to mind is some stuff I've seen on YouTube. You guys watch YouTube on occasion? Any YouTubers? Okay, it's cheap TV, no subscription necessary. Uh, on YouTube, there's this guy called Whistlin' Diesel. Anybody know Whistlin' Diesel? Okay, you guys are no fun. Um, Whistlin' Diesel takes super expensive trucks, super expensive cars, and in one episode, he drives them through mud. He just totally trashes them, and he gets it all on video because people like watching him trash $100,000 cars. One of his recent ones was trashing a $400,000 Ferrari in one episode, just destroying it. And of course, he gets lots of views, and he gets lots of money out of it. But personally, I'm like, that's acting like a fool. Your whole life is about destroying things? And just people watching you on video after you destroy things? That's living like a moron. Oh, it was just the Greek, sorry. But it is. It's foolishness. But there are other examples. Like on YouTube, there's another guy called Mr. Beast. And I can't say I have watched all of Mr. Beast's videos. But what he decided to do with his channel was to go out of his way to help people and do good things for people. In fact, what he decided to do in one of his recent videos was to give sight to over 1,000 people. He paid for it himself. And here's the video about it. The gift of sight for not just one. Or two. Yes, I can see your face, I can see your face, I can see your face. But 1,000 people getting free cataract removal. Don't cry. I can see everybody's facial features now. It's a little blurry with my uh, tears coming out. <laughs> the surgery is paid for by Jimmy Donaldson, better known online as Mr. Beast. They can't see, but we have all the technology to fix it. Yep, half of all the blindness in the world is people who need a 10 minute surgery. The most followed individual on YouTube, teaming up with ophthalmologist Jeff Levinson in Jacksonville, Florida. Dr. Levinson's Gift of Sight program provides free cataract surgery to uninsured patients who are legally blind due to cataracts. Everything looks so more clear. Yeah. To make this day even more special, since you're about to graduate high school and go to college, we wanted to give you $50,000 to put towards college. Giving back has been important to Mr. Beast since he first started making money on YouTube. I just got my first brand deal for $10,000 and I just gave it away. So I did, I just literally, I got it, and then I went outside and I gave it to a homeless person. Nearly half the population with curable blindness doesn't have access to this surgery. So I wanted to provide this to as many people as possible. The video racking up more than 40 million views in less than a day. The number one trending video on YouTube over the weekend. You know, so many people think this, you know, people on YouTube are just, it's just all Drama, drama, yes. yeah. exactly. silliness, yeah. yeah. And you, you guys are focused on so many good things. Which is something I would like to add. Like, most creators, like, I've messaged thousands, and almost every single one of them was like, yes, how can I help? They weren't like, what's in it for me, or I don't know. Like, they're, like, genuinely, they, I was shocked. Paul says, as Christians, 
our words aren't about foolishness. <laughs> we shouldn't be the kind of people that are known on YouTube for destroying $100,000, $400,000 things just to get a bunch of views. If you have a channel on YouTube, you should be the kind of people that are giving life, that are helping others. That's the kind of way where our speech should be. Then he continues. Dirty jokes and stories shouldn't be part of our life. Let there be no filthiness, nor foolish talk, nor crude joking, which are out of place. The crude joking literally means taking something pure and twisting it. This is what you call bathroom humor. This is what you call dirty jokes. This is what you call sexual humor, taking a good thing, the sexuality God's given us, and making it a crude sexual thing. When Cindy and I have looked through YouTube, we ran across a guy named Larry the Cable Guy. Have you guys seen Larry the Cable Guy on YouTube? I mean, I'll tell you. Larry the Cable yeah, you guys know him. He's funny. He is crazy funny. But I also watched another video, and it was, the video is just like constant sexual humor. I'm like, okay, maybe once, maybe twice. It just kept going. And finally, we turned it off, and we said, this is exactly what Paul says should not characterize a Christian's life. Cheap sexual humor. And then he says this, let no one deceive you with empty words, for because of these things, the wrath of God comes upon the sons of disobedience. Folks, if you choose to remain sexually pure before your wedding night, if you choose to remain completely focused on your spouse alone after your wedding night, if you choose not to cuss, not to swear like everybody else is doing, people are going to call you a prude. They're going to say you're behind the times. You need to get with it. You're not taking that Bible literally, are you? And Paul says, don't let anyone deceive you with their empty words. God's judgment is coming, and he is judging these very kinds of things. So how could it ever want to be characterizing a Christian's life? Now, does God forgive us for our sin? Yes, he does. But we shouldn't be continuing in these kind of sins. Sexually and verbally, we should be notably pure and wholesome people. Here's another point. Rotten words that tear others down should not be part of our life. Ephesians 4.29, Paul said, Let no corrupting talk come out of your mouth, but only such as is good for building up, as fits the occasion, that it may give grace to those who hear. We've talked about filthy language. We've talked about obscene language. We've talked about dirty jokes. We've talked about foolish words. Now Paul talks about corrupting talk. This is not a swear word. Corrupting is a word that literally describes rotten fruit. Let the words that come out of your mouth not be the kind of words that cause rot and decay in someone else's life. Let the words that come out of our life build people up, not tear people down. May our words give grace to those who hear. You and I know people that are Christians that they may not cuss, they may not swear, but I'll tell you, they love to complain about the traffic, they love to complain about the weather, they love to complain about their neighbors, they love to complain about their dinner. There's always something negative, rotten, or corrupting coming out of their mouth. And Paul says, that's not the way our speech is to be. 
Our speech is to be notably different. It's not just the obscenities that are missing, but it's the positiveness that is present. That is how we are markedly distinctive in this world. Here's another one. I am to love my enemies, not curse them. Bless those who persecute you. Bless and do not curse them. But I say to you, love your enemies. Do good to those who hate you and bless those who curse you. Pray for those who abuse you. When it comes to our enemies, we would think, now that's the time where I can finally cuss somebody out. Let them know what I really think. Yet the scriptures say, no, we don't even curse our enemies. We love our enemies. We pray for our enemies. We do good for our enemies. Christians are notably different in this world. Could you imagine what would happen in the government if people started actually praying for one another? blessing one another, doing good for one another instead of slandering, slamming, and undermining each other, you know they might actually get something done, right? That's the way Christians are to live. My speech should be filled with thanksgiving, not cursing and complaining. This comes from Ephesians 5.4. Let there be no filthiness, nor foolish talk, nor crude joking, which we've looked at, which are out of place, but instead let there be thanksgiving. Some people will say, well, I'm not allowed to grumble. I'm not allowed to tell a dirty joke. I'm not allowed to cuss. I'm not allowed to swear. What am I supposed to talk about? I've got nothing left. And the word of God says, you know what you fill your mouth with? Thanksgiving. You talk to people about how thankful you are for your God and how thankful you are for them. This week, when you go home, I want you to tell your spouse how thankful you are for them. I want you to tell your children how thankful you are that God gave them to you. At work, I want you to tell your employees how thankful you are to have them. If you work in a place, I want you to tell your boss how thankful you are for him or for her. Let thankfulness constantly be flowing out of our mouth. And there's a lot of benefit to that, folks. If what's flowing out of our mouth is cursing, grumbling, complaining, at the end of the day, we will not be a happy person. But if we've learned to give thanks in every circumstance... We're a much happier person in every circumstance because we've learned to be a thankful man and woman. One more here. Uh, I will give an answer to God for my careless words. I tell you on the day of judgment, people will give account for every careless word they speak. The careless words, here this is calling those quick words. You know those quick sarcastic answers? Any guys have those that come to mind? Just me? where you actually know you should probably keep your mouth shut, but every once in a while you open it. The scriptures say, hey, we're going to give an answer for those things. We should not be known for quick and sarcastic words. Let's jump to the end here. The words of the mouth, my mouth actually are just reviewing, revealing the true state of my heart. Luke 6, 45. The good person out of the good treasure of his heart brings or produces good and the evil person out of the evil treasure produces evil. For out of the abundance of the heart, his mouth speaks. When you leave today, I know that some of us will say, well, I need to try harder to have my speech become more pleasing to Jesus. Because there's a lot of things that I learned from the scriptures that need to change about my speech. 
But the answer, folks, is not trying harder. The answer is pursuing Jesus more. Because when Jesus is on the throne in your heart, when you're walking faithfully with him, he will automatically change the way you speak. This week, I don't know, are you reading your Bible? Maybe if you're not, I will make a challenge for you. Choose one chapter a day, just four or five days a week to get started. Now take the book of Ephesians. It's got lots of good stuff in it. Start there. Make some time to pray. You're like, I'm too busy. I don't, want, don't know when to pray. Well, when are you driving to work? Keep the radio off. Talk to God in the car because finally you're actually alone. Take that time to talk to him. And then be regular in Christian community. Be regular in church, not just where you attend a church, but actually where you get to know other Christians in a church. And you'll find God uses one Christian to sharpen another to follow harder after him. So this morning, we looked at what does the Bible say about using God's name in vain? We would never use God's name casually or disrespectfully after we know who he is and think about what he's done. But in addition to that, the words of our mouth, which flow out of our hearts, should always be words that are not cussing and swearing when we're angry, but they should be words filled with thankfulness and gratitude to God and for the goodness of what he's done for us. Let us pray. Heavenly Father, we ask that you would forgive us for the times that our mouths have spoken things that are not pleasing to you, which is all too often, Heavenly Father. This week, may the words of our mouth and the meditations of our heart be acceptable in your sight, O Lord, our rock and redeemer. And all God's people said, amen. This has been a presentation of Crosswinds Church. A complete archive of sermons can be found online at crosswinds.tv. Thank you for being with us, and may God continue to enrich your life.